Alright you guys, welcome back to Little Man Big Conversations. Man, speaking of big conversations, this is a big opportunity for me right now. This is a big compliment and this is a big deal. All big. This man has been a part of the wrestling industry for almost 20, 21 years I want to say. He is mostly known as the heart and soul of IPW. The man, the myth, legend, ladies and gentlemen, I proudly bring to you today on Little Man Big Conversations, Cruz. Cruz, how are you, man? Yeah, good, buddy. How are you going? Man, I am. I, I'm just so super thrilled and stoked to to speak to you, and and really happy that you've uh, come aboard and just giving your time today, man. It's uh, it it really is awesome to to have you on board today. No, no worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, do you prefer Cruz, or can I use your real name? You, you call me whatever you like, brother. I've been yeah. called worse either way. <laughs> All right. So if I slip between Cruz and Troy, that is the same person. For those playing the home game, I sometimes us wrestlers, we switch between our worker names and our real names. So if you hear that name come up and we switch in between, hell, it is the same guy. So I've told this story on a couple of episodes of this podcast so far. And if you haven't heard them, I urge you to go and check out episode one and two of Little Man Big Conversations. But I reference the story of my first day technically in wrestling where I did an impromptu dance-off with Shock Therapy, which is Violent Bill and Violent Bob, two comedy characters in IPW at that time. Now, to pull back the curtain, you were one of those guys. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, that was something that um, that Maddie created back in the day, and it was a good chance for us to step away from anything too serious and just have a real good time. And um, obviously, there was uh, two characters I played, um, you know, Violent Bob and Cruz. And Cruz, being such a serious character, it was nice to um, yeah just let it down at times and and jump into the Bob gear so that's yeah. where we first met buddy had a little yeah. dance yeah <laughs> yeah so i did uh i did an atrocious uh, recreation of michael jackson's billy jean with my overinflated red jumper but um <laughs> yeah it was shortly after that the two things spiraled off from that night one being that uh the commentator at the time grave tavern better known as scott black ended up working with him at 31 digital many years later but the second thing which relates to us was that i was given a blue and black jersey that said WCW Australia on the front. And at that time, I thought, I didn't know the Ted Turner brand was here because I didn't know the history. But on the back, it said Cruise 01. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. This is, I didn't know prizes were involved. Hell, it wasn't until two years later. And I want to be real clear. You're like, when people get to know you, you're a friendly, loyal, straight up kind of guy. Like there is no frills. It's just what you see is what you get, which is awesome. Cause a lot of people these days don't have that quality anymore. There's always an ulterior motive sometimes with people, but you're a straight shooter. You're a nice dude to, to the people that are nice to you. I should specify. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Very much so. Um, yeah. But back at yeah. that time, I was still sort of finding my own identity, not only in the wrestling world, but in life. So I was kind of reserved at that point because the people I had started with in wrestling had left. So I kind of knew Ash and obviously Hawk and uh, Sweetass, Matt, because they were the trainers and obviously Hawk was the owner. But I didn't really know a lot of wrestlers at that point, specifically you, because much when I started there, there I was doing a university degree 
at the time, which was based in media. And the topic was raised of possibly having the major impact two, three, and four converted from VHS to DVD. So when that opportunity came up, I said, yeah, you know, I'm doing media at the moment. I'm, I can definitely do this for you. And that's when I first got the tapes of seeing the guys like yourself starting so early on in what was then known as Major Impact Wrestling, but before that was WCW Australia. So I knew of you before I had even met you. So I remember there was a time, now you may not remember this, but this has always burnt into my mind because this is technically the first conversation in inverted commas that I remember having with you. We were in... Um, we were doing shows out of the training facility and there happened to be a lumberjack match happening at the time, but the locker room was empty and it just so happened that it was only you and me in that little locker room. And I thought, Hey, if there ever was a time to sort of break the ice and talk to crews, this would be an opportune time because I don't know when I'm going to have the chance to talk to this guy one-on-one. It's, it's, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. I was intimidated, but in the best way, in a, in a very professional way. I was like, wow, there he is. That's Cruz. I've seen so many matches. So I, I remember you were fiddling with the mask. You were sort of sitting there, and you, I guess you were just drumming through ideas of what was going to come up in the match uh, coming up. And I said to you, hey, man, um, I've always wondered, what is your mask made of? And you said, oh, yeah, he, he, here you go, and you threw it at me. And I looked, I caught it and I looked at it and I had a feel around and uh, I think it was Lycra and Mesh. And I said, oh, cool. I it was broken dreams it was made of, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and tears of former former enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I, I looked at it and I went, um, I said, oh, cool. You know, thanks so much, man. And I handed it back to you and I, I, that's literally as far as it went. I thought, okay, I've kind of shattered to him in a way i've maybe broken the ice there i, I, I don't know i had i didn't know what else to, to bring up because i didn't know you but i was always did wonder hey that mask is very different from the, the stock standard lucha libre mexican wrestling mask that were out there at that time and i thought okay cool i, I finally spoken to him he, he that's awesome and i remember you then said oi and i turned around and you threw the mask back at me and you said you can go out there and wear it if you want <laughs> and i went what and you went, yeah, I've got another one. doesn't matter. <laughs> now, that may have not have been a huge deal to you, to, to you, but the mask you threw me was your original silver and black mask that you mm, had worn dur- yeah, during yeah. the start of your career. Yeah, yeah. So as you look at it, that. that was like, to me at that point, that was like being given Ali's boxing glove. <laughs> like that was like, oh, wow, this is like, this, this, even though it, it's just, I mean, at the end of the day, people out there, it's like, yeah, it's just a mask. No, this had, this had history to it. And I was, ho- and then being told, hey, you go out there and wear my mask. Do you remember? I mean, I'm, I've just run you through it now, but do you remember being in that situation with me? Yeah, I, I'm actually, you know, I mean, when you said, I, I remember the situation, you know, or, or of it happening, obviously, um, not in specific detail, but I do remember doing that. And yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, to me, you know, I mean, I've wrestled for a long time and I've done a lot of things and, and the mask like wrestling to me was just, I guess, um, I don't know, it's just something you do. And, and I, and I probably don't think of it myself, um, as having that much meaning in that regard, but it's just because it was just part of what I did. And I guess yeah. it's a mask, but when you say it like that, yeah, I, I suppose it is a, it's a, it's a big thing and it's a big little, um, a stepping stone, I suppose, into what we became down the track. So, 
Yes. Um, it's, no, it's, that, cool. It's, it's cool when you think of it that way. Um, it, it, yeah. it really was, man. Like that's, that's a shoot. I'm not, I'm not hyping it up just because where I'm interviewing, man. That's honestly how I felt. But I don't know if I've ever told you this story because I, I sat there and I was, I was, my hands were quivering and I put the mask on and I, I remember sitting there in this mask going, this is nuts. It was like putting on a VR headset or something for the first time and experiencing <laughs> virtual reality. I'm like, this is weird. And I remember walking out there and I remember seeing Hawk in that famous chair that he always used to sit in for every every time he did uh, speeches or, or anything business related. He had that chair. Yeah. And I came out with that mask and the look of horror and confusion on his face to which he then said, a shrunk. What, what was going on? To which he then said, what the fuck are you doing wearing that? <laughs> Honey, I shrunk the cruise. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd run into your bag and go, teehee, I'm going to wear his mask. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I remember I remember doing that match um, and coming backstage and taking it off and you being like, all right, bloke, how was that? And I went, that was different. And then I, yeah. I went to give it back to Couldn't you. and I see a thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I blacked out. Um, so I remember giving that mask back to you and that's when you said, no, uh, no, nah, nah, you keep it. I've got another one. Um, and I went, yeah. really? And you went, yeah. Nice. And then that's when, as you just touched on just before that's when the whole mini cruise idea came about because you said yeah come out with me for this one you mean you've already worn it might as well <laughs> so i remembered wearing i think a leather jacket at the time and i zipped it up and i came out and there we were and uh yeah it, and then it wasn't until i think we we're doing weekly shows back then but it wasn't until the next week where i had found and brought that original black and blue jersey that I had gotten from that dance-off two years prior, I brought it out, had your original mask, found some track pants that look similar to yours, bought some fight shoes because, hey, I'm not going to be wearing sneakers next to this guy. And, <laughs> yeah, you better not. Yeah, and then I uh, – do you remember what happened next when I pulled out that jersey? No. So I pulled out that jersey and I said, hey, look what I found. And you went, what the fuck, where did you find that? <laughs> and I went. <laughs> and I went. Two years ago, man, when I did that dance off, you were you gave me this as a as a as a prize for for winning. I guess they, that that uh, moment. And you went, oh, did I? And I went, yeah, man. I've always I've always kept this in high regard. And you went, ah. So can I have it back? <laughs> <laughs> it was comfortable, man. It was a lot a lot um a lot cooler to wear than the one I wear now or wore. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, no, that was my that was the original jersey. I remember um, you know, the lady that made that for me uh, when I very first started wrestling. Um, yeah, she used to make some stuff for the uh, for the shop and that. And yeah, that was uh, that was a comfy jersey to wear. And I'm still growing into it. I think I'll take <laughs> to that jersey, but I'm probably too fat for it by then. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I've always I always kept that jersey in, in high regard. And then uh, Thanks, yeah. And then to be able to work with you, man, uh, again, just given that history that I had had, uh, had seen and now to be a miniature version of you, there was a spinoff there for a while. I think uh, I think work and life were picking up for you. you. You weren't able to do as many shows as on a consistent basis as you were doing prior. But I remember there was a stint there where I did the mini cruise angle and I for a while there I just came out as pretty much a miniature version of Cruz, swearing and yeah. intensity and kicking people in the head and doing all sorts of <laughs> things Cruz would. And it was very much a, hey, who put this guy in the Cruise wash? never swore. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, man, I had... How dare deep. you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Unless it was Trocadero, of course, but yeah. Oh, 
There was a. There was yeah. one show when you came out to the entrance and you were fired up and you're ready to go and you came out of that entrance and I'll never forget this term of phrase because uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> you said you yelled at the crowd. I don't know if you remember this. It was probably off the cuff. You're in the moment. You come out for the entrance. You're beating your chest, doing the classic entrance, and then you were slapping the desk to get people to make noise. And I was following you, and you said, "Come on, you guys, make some noise, or I'll rip your effing dicks off." <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's why I never got picked up by the WWE, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I just remember thinking, man, I'm so happy I'm in a mask because I was laughing my ass off in that mask, man. So yeah, we had the had the stint there where I was doing the singles run as Muse. Um, uh, was where each time you came back, there were, there were certain important matches that um, that Muse was sort of came out with you, but wasn't at ringside. But the majority of the time. Most of the matches during that time, at least, I was around. Um, I'd left the company in 2013, and I'd come back uh, sporadically to see shows. We would we would shake hands. I'd I'd, I'd see you um, out and about in, in the real world as well. But it wasn't until uh, I think 2019 when we started to get the band back together, as it would. Mm. Yeah, that was good. Yes. Um... Nice to get back in there and have a bit of fun again, and and I guess um, it's like a little family, I guess, when we're out there and um, a little team. And, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I'm always so focused when I'm in the ring on, uh, you know, not only what's going on in the match, but the crowd. And it's it's nice, I think, to have you know yourself outside there to, you know, join it all together. I suppose um, to make sure it's it's a bit of a flow. Yeah, you, know, you do no, good. I- <laughs> you said good. <laughs> All right, I'll never do it again. Um, so, <laughs> so that's how we know each other. So we we we've, we've had that history um, working alongside you now for many many years uh, as a miniature version of Cruz. But take it back for me because if we if we're gonna pull the curtain back, Hawk wasn't only the trainer to you, was he? He was much more than that. Yeah, no. He, I mean, he's my dad, obviously, and my and my yeah. best mate. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. As much as I I miss him um, now, and I, and I hate that he's gone, um, yeah. I, I couldn't have had a better father and a better mentor and a better friend, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. The, yeah, he he was he was a lot, um, but man, we had some good times. And hell, even if it was uh, you know putting the sign up back in the day, you know, back in an hour at the shop and then coming back six hours later because we'd been up at Sharks half the day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of cool things we got to experience together. But, no, nah, he, he was a, a, a huge, huge factor in my life. I mean, my mother obviously as well. But, yeah. uh, you know, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, under my dad's wing, um, you know, good and bad times, but it was always um, always for a better purpose. And, yeah, no, nah, it, um, it was nice. He was a lot. So, so take me back to those those uh, those classic times because you you weren't always up here in in Queensland, were you? You you, you were you travelling around with Hawk at the time before you came here, or how did it all begin for you? Where where did the where did it all start? So, so how I started. So we used to have a shop in Ashmore, um, and back at the time when when Dad was running uh, running the wrestling. Um, and I believe there was a show coming up at the Ashmore PCYC, and, and I had trained for years. Like, I never wanted to wrestle. Uh, okay. It was never never something I wanted to do, but I always enjoyed learning to wrestle. Uh, so I sort of, I because he was a, you know, some would say, 
otherwise, but I always felt he was a very good teacher uh, and and pushing the basics. So I always have a always had a very strong grounding of the basics, how to fall, how to hold, um, and the in between things that make a good match. Um, so I knew how to wrestle, um, and I guess coming from that background, it might have been planted into me, and you know subconsciously, who knows. Um, so there was a situation that popped up where he needed a wrestler on a show um, and he put it to me and reluctantly I, I took the match. Um, right. But, um, and I think it, as it turned out, it was with Canadian Wolf who turned out to be a very dear friend and still is to this day, even yep. though he's in Canada now. But, um, you know, he told me all these stories of, you know, back in the old days when he would do matches and, um, you know, people back then, you know, not that wrestling was necessarily any different, but it was perceived very differently. Um, I, I feel to some extent it was probably better in those days, not because of what was done in the ring, but the way it was done. Right. Um, you know, obviously not as flamboyant and as flippy and flashy, and, but, you know, it was those matches were put together very well in an entertaining manner. But that aside, he would tell me how – because people would live it so strongly, you know, he had situations where people would come back after the show because he had worked them so bad as a heel. Um, you know, they'd come back with a gun, you know, threaten <laughs> to shoot him or Jesus. You know, break yeah. break their windows and all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, mm. oh, it's true, you know. So we had a shop just around the corner from the venue and I thought, geez, I'm going to go out there and, and work a heel angle. Uh, so I need a mask because I don't want these guys recognising me, recognising where our business is. And then putting a, a rock through the window, you know, because you know, right, because it was that it was, always, it was taken that seriously back then. Yeah, back then, you know, and yeah, you know, I, I didn't, yeah, I, I can't say firsthand, but every old school wrestler that you talk to um, will tell you that the way they ran wrestling back then, they would fly separately if they saw each other in the street. They would literally almost go to blows because they wanted to to maintain that belief. Yeah, know, of the reality of wrestling and what yeah. went on in these rings, mm-hmm. whereas now it's very transparent and, and accepted as a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that knowledge of what happened in the past, it was like, okay, I've got to throw a mask on and do this match, you know. So that's how I sort of got to start wrestling and then eventually doing the match um, with Canadian Wolf, with, with, um, with Scotty. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how all that came about. So, so you mentioned that you didn't really want to do the wrestling side of things in terms of live events. Was that because of um, Hawk's established career at that point? You just and you wanted to make your own, do your own thing, or you just never? I absolutely nothing to do with that. I I haven't. I've never historically been a theatrical person. Right. You know, there's always been no bullshit about yep. me. Like you say, what you say is what you get. Very WYSIWYG. Um, so getting my head around the you know, the acting, so to speak, in wrestling, taking, you know, the physicality out of it, but the actual um, theatrical side of it, I could, I couldn't get my head around wanting to do that. Um, and, but, you know, obviously I succumbed to it because I wanted to, to help him out. Uh, right. So that it had absolutely nothing to do with, with anything other than that, why I didn't potentially want to do it. Yep. Uh, um, um, so, yeah, that that was purely it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Do you remember the conversation being brought up because um, Hawk was originally from New Zealand and he and he flew over here to Queensland? Is that correct? 
Yeah, well, originally, you know, Dad being from New Zealand, actually flew over here and then he, he started working. I think he was um, uh, doing roof tiling or something back in the day. Um, okay. It's funny, you know, like all the time that Dad and I spent together in, in you know, during his life, I suppose, me still being around, but um, we, I really, we didn't really talk a lot about the past. And I okay. don't know if that was because we lived in the present very much, you know, like yeah, we were always yeah. busy and we were always enjoying each other's company. And, and yes, there were stories, you know, but it's one thing that, you know, when I guess we had dad's memorial um, mm. after he passed that there were so many things that I learned um, back then, even just seeing some of those photos. So in terms of why he originally came over here and when he was, I believe it was Frankston in Melbourne is okay. where he did a lot of his work. Yeah. Um, as a toddler. Um, and then in a wrestling context, after we had moved over here um, and then uh, gone through, you know, different businesses as such, you know, ups and downs, he eventually started um, the wrestling himself. I think it might have even been with Noel Oliver and had a lot of the old school guys like, um, you know, uh, Louis the Butcher and Dominic Bianco and, you know, Mario Milano and, um, wow. Okay, that's yeah, an esteemed class of, of guys. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, sort of growing up with them, like some of those guys, it was just amazing to be around. And that's when I guess you talk about uh, these days the newer, I guess the way people interact is yeah. very different to them. And I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's a um, a cultural thing or, or God knows. But yeah, that's that's when growing up with those guys was amazing um, in in the wrestling, and you learnt a lot um from them and okay. i guess that's yeah with that as well why i you know sort of wrestle the way i do as a result of that and why i think uh my perception of wrestling is very different than other people i suppose yeah no that that makes complete sense being that you're around not only your dad but all those guys at that time that yeah your perception of wrestling would lean towards that because that is what you knew that it was what you're exposed to and hey that's how the business was Speaking yep. of the business, do you remember, was there a time at the, let's say, the proverbial family dinner table where Hawk came up with the idea or was there ever a conversation of, hey, I'm going to move from Melbourne to Queensland, I'm going to start WCW Australia? Do you, do you remember if there was something like that? Was that ever brought up or was that just a case of... No, 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 not at all. So so basically the, the, the Melbourne side of things, I believe, was pre-me um, okay. when he was younger. So then when we moved over here as a family... Uh, dynamic was more um, I think I was about five years old um, right. we moved okay. over here to Burley Heads so there was not any wrestling involved in that conversation back then other than what he had done in New Zealand okay. uh, and and obviously over here when he, when he was wrestling full-time so um, yeah there was that that conversation in terms of transitioning from from south to north um, no certainly not um, the conversations I remember i suppose to some extent and broken conversations were um more involved in you know doing the shows back then when you know the other guys were around and then even sort of moving through those shows through bean lee and all that sort of area they're more the conversations in terms of early days of wrestling with me right okay so it was already a up and running thing by the time um that you that you can remember like there, there wasn't a exactly yeah. it was just it was already happening early early day memories other than you know going to the shows helping set up right uh, okay. back before I, yeah and this is probably when i was you know i think i started wrestling maybe i don't know if my actual match was around 
sort of 17, 18, maybe 18 or so, I think, when I first wrestled. Okay. Um, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, before that, it was more in a supporting role of just helping with the shows and, and seeing the shows and, you know, all that before I actually wrestled. Yeah. Right. Okay. So as far as you were aware, coming up as a kid, going through the whole schooling thing, hey, this was just business as usual. Just my dad yeah. runs a wrestling company. 100%, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone at school knows Troy's dad's a wrestler. You know, he grew up running a caravan park. He'd body slam some. Literally body slammed someone through a fence once. That was oh, Jesus. Uh, he wasn't a good tenant, apparently. Uh, clearly. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So he ran a pretty tight ship like that. But no, it was actually more more of my younger childhood was growing up with your dad as a wrestler. Don't mess right. with Troy's dad. Um, right. You know, and even for me, it was like, don't do the wrong thing. Not because he was abusive or whatever, but because of the fact that you know, he might actually kill me one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was no, you know, just just to be clear, there was no indication that that was going to be a, a, an option. But you know, hence probably why I never drank. Yeah, and to this day, I've never drunk because I grew up um, respecting him, I guess, as a person and a, and as a strong person, mm. um, and also growing up around environments where I saw you know drunks and you know druggies and all that sort of scenario. So th- that sort of stemmed on. So that's why that was my earlier memories of dad and wrestling. Um, and people around me knowing me and my dad as a wrestler. Right. Um, was that so, kind of like a celebrity kind of vibe in, during the schooling days of being like, oh, you know, he's a wrestling show, he's a dad's wrestler? Was that? Yeah, was, when, I think, when I think back about it a little bit now, it certainly was a, a bit of a status. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember a story once. A, a really good friend of mine back in the day, his name is Brett Winks. Um, we used to, you know, we were in film and TV together and we'd make little shows and all this sort of stuff. But, um, we came home from going out one night and, you know, I used to go out a lot and go dance and the non-alcoholic dancer, some lunatic <laughs> looking himself in the mirror, all freaking not dead set. Unbelievable. I'd slap myself these days, but hey, that's what I did. Um, but we come home and old Brady's throwing up outside the side of the maxi taxi, which I'm sure a million of you have already experienced that before. But then we get home <laughs> and um, this, we were living in Labrador at the time. And... Um, we come home early hours of the morning. I'm like, all right, mate, come inside. You know, and he's like, nah. He says, I don't want to come inside because if I throw up in your house, your dad is going to murder me. <laughs> so it was like, you know, like I guess status like that. And coincidentally, he he slept outside. I came outside to find him and he turned out asleep in the back of the neighbor's car. Wow. Um, so we later found his watch in the car and got it back to him. So that's got nothing to do with the story, but kind of, um, <laughs> that was but the no, So that's the sort of status i suppose yeah. more with my father yeah it was that they he was respected in terms of his strength and his um yeah i guess i guess he had a status like that yep right so given that status and given that sort of uh schooling vibe if you will was there any of your schoolmates that ended up joining the wrestling because of this no 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 one you went to school with when hey i want to give this a shot or was it just a we respect no not that i can remember um, right okay yeah, keeping in mind, I've been hit in the head a few times, so my memory's <laughs> not always great. But um, yeah. Yeah. um, no, buddy, I don't think that was. Um, okay. And or or any type of association. I'm just even wondering if there was anyone. No, there wasn't. There was, yep. um, you know, people that I'd sort of met during my life, you know, that had jumped in, um, and joined wrestling in one way or another, or learnt to wrestle, or um, 
you know, wanted to be a manager or something like that, but no one directly from my schooling days. No. Okay. So you've had, you've got the schooling status, you've got, you know, Hey, don't, don't mess with the Hawk. I don't want to throw up in your house, that kind of vibe. <laughs> and so I, I imagine now you've, you've graduated high school, you're doing the training. Hawk says to you, Hey, uh, need you to fill in. You, you, you get the mask. Now, did, was it the mask that you had made your original one or were you using something else at the time? No, no, I um, I had that mask made from scratch, and I think so. Back then, you know, the crew's character was uh, like ice hockey based. Okay. Uh, um, you know, along the lines of, you know, he's he's been banned from the ice hockey leagues. Yada yada. yada. Everyone needs a backstory. Um, yep. You know, and and remembering back then, the characterization of our wrestlers was a lot like the old school days. You know, there were some really corny names. Yeah. Uh, um, you know the grave digger you know, okay yeah you know, and, and thor and all these things that were dead set like superhero names or um you know good versus evil which was how it always was um so you know i come along i'm an ice hockey character which is i guess you know people used to say jason Voorhees because i'd give away those those plastic masters i'd come out and sign them for the kids and things um but um yeah that was i don't know how yeah, it's interesting when you think back about how all that happened. So, yeah, buddy, just thought I'd jump in the mask and, and that way the, the face is hidden and no windows were broken during the making of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so were you a nice hockey fan? Is that where it stemmed from? Can't remember. I no, really just, can't remember, Flash. Yeah. So I, um, just the goalie, just so the image of the goalie this. in the mask? Yeah, I think, I guess it was just like, I'm just trying to think. I'm I'm. I want to think back to where that – I don't know if it was – you know what I think it might have been? I, mo- I, I feel like it could have been that I saw those masks and then I thought, well, let's make a Lycra version of that. Right, you know? okay. Um, something, something more intimidating. I don't think it had anything to do with the shop we had at the time. I'm pretty right. sure that – because there wasn't like a gag in it or anything like that. But, um. <laughs> yeah, we've had a so, few guys on here that have, have, have name-dropped that, uh, that Hawk yeah. was running a sex shop at that time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just funny story on that. I don't know if you ever knew, but I used to run a personal training center at the back of that shop. And right. imagining the, um, you know, the walls didn't go all the way to the roof. So you imagine some bugger coming in to get his toys and here's some other bugger at the back grunting on the back of a bench press <laughs> thinking, what is going on in this place? Yeah. But that's another story. But yeah. no, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, colorful upbringing. Um, yeah. yeah. No, mate. I, I I can only imagine that that's where that mask originated from. Was was an extension of that um, plastic mask that I looked at, yep. which I think I found in a dollar shop. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Maddie used to find a lot of masks, and I I don't think it would have been him that found it. Who knows? He may have even found it, knowing mm-hmm. him. But he used to do it. He used to love shopping for gear in those dollar shops and that. Um, yeah. But I think yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where it came from. So. So you've, yeah. you've, you've had the mask designed, you've got the jersey printed. Um, mm-hmm. How did the name come about? Where did that name stem from? Ali asked me that a lot, actually. Um, it came from, I used to, for whatever reason, used to love writing Santa Cruz. It was just this thing. And, you know, I wonder if I used to have a Commodore 64 um, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Load those tapes until they failed and then I pissed me right off but some of those there was like a a game on there that had surfing and skateboarding or something like that and yep. i feel like that was on there okay I just, I, to be honest 
I'm, I'm clutching. I think that's where it came from. And they used to write it down. I even burnt it on a um, – used to make like a, a wooden pencil case at school in one of my one of my classes. I'm pretty sure I etched it onto that. And maybe I just uh, – oh, well, I can't be Santa, so I might as well be Cruz, you know. So maybe that's where it came from. Um, yeah, easy to write. Yeah. Like, good choice. Uh, <laughs> pretty easy to sign. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you take the typo. I feel like he could have come up with something shorter. Um, <laughs> Mo, maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's where that came from. The name. Right. Yeah. So you've got the name now. You've got the image that you like. You have your debut match. Yep. How did you feel after doing that match? Were you so, was it still like eh, I did this as a favor to my dad, or were no, you starting to no, think, hey, I didn't mind that? I loved it. No, I loved it. I tell you the the one big thing, and and you know how I am with with wrestling, and this will make sense to you when I say it. But yep. um, that match, my dad always said to me, you don't plan anything. You did it, and you know when you just start wrestling, you're like, okay, all right, no worries. Like, but I feel like I have to, so I know what I'm doing. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that match with Scotty was planned from start to finish. Every right. single thing you could think of, and God knows how I remembered everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we planned it start to finish, and I just I just remember doing the match thing of, Jesus, I'm, I'm thinking about this so much. What am I doing next? What am I doing next? Um, and if there's one thing it taught me, it was don't plan the match um, because you really pigeonhole what you can do out there. Yep. Um, you know, it's one, and and that's I guess why that'll make sense to you. You know, Cruz, mm-hmm. do this. Yeah, this is how we're going to do a net breaker. We're going to turn it sixteen times. You remember that one, Flat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. No, yeah, that was the big thing that came out. Not anything to do with not wanting to wrestle because I actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I remember no after this I'm not planning a thing. Um, and yeah, that's okay. So you've got the itch, you've got the proverbial bug, the, the undie skin, you've got that stretch now, you've got the, the the noise of the crowd, you're starting to feel the vibe, you're thinking, hey, I, I could probably dig this. How long was it then? What what year are we in it now? Is this is this the origins still of WCW Australia, like 99, 2000? Is this, is this where we were at at this point? Yeah, I reckon, yeah, so like I said, I reckon I was about 18. Okay. Um, and I'm now... 41 or two. I can't remember. I always forget how old I am. But so that was, yeah, that was um, very early days of WCW Australia. Um, I had hair. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, which is inconvenient under a mask. But yeah, it's, um, that's a long time ago. Um, And there's a real big void in my memory um, as to what happened soon after that um i guess you know we're sort of talking yeah sort of wcw australia start wrestling with guys like tripper and um jesus davy boy and and all those sorts of guys i suppose start popping up mm-hmm. um yeah soon around that time um yeah bj yada 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 yeah i don't think bj on that show i think he was um post that so okay yeah so you, Origins. So you start operating because this was operating around. I want to say was it the Southport Stadium at this point? Were they doing shows there? That, uh, so that show was at Ashmore PCYC first right. show. Yep. Okay. Um, so I feel like it would have been soon after that we would have moved over to yeah the Southport Basketball Stadium. Um, don't know if it was weekly shows back then, uh, but yeah, that's where where we moved to after that. Yeah. 
All right. So you're doing the shows out of Southport now. Um, at this stage, the company's starting to get a bit of a, a bit of a following. Not so much a cult following, but it's getting a mass influx. And then this is when the training picks up. You get guys coming in like BJ Blade. You get guys coming in like uh, Jethro. You get guys coming in like Ash and Sweetos and guys of that nature who are starting to, I guess, learn the fundamentals that you had already been exposed to at such a young age. What was your role during this time with this influx? Were you still doing the training role and helping out the guys, or were you just now transitioning over to not only helping the live events, but were you just doing the performing at this point, or were you still being a jack of all trades at that time? Yeah, it was a bit of a jack of jack of all trades. So obviously, you know, involved in running the show with Dad, um, and then there was a bit of training, just sort of taking people, um, you know, how to fall, basic holds, things like that, things that are. <clears throat> very, very important with the the basis of professional wrestling. Uh, so I was more involved in that sort of thing. And then you got guys like you know BJ and I come along. Who you know BJ, for example, had a had a strong amateur wrestling background or a strong base at least. So he had a very good grounding from the start. Um, so I guess it was about um, then working with other guys who who um, could assist in ways. Yep. So with BJ for argument's sake, he would come along and he would, you know, hit a good knowledge of how to do holds, um, which are, at the end of the day, you know, amateur wrestling is a base for professional wrestling, you know, collar and tie lockups, arm bars, you know, suplexes, falling, all of that. Um, so I would work in with Dad and guys like BJ uh, and other guys back then. Geez, I, I can't even remember who might have been helping with the teaching back then. Um, but, yeah, to assist in in developing wrestlers um, and, and running the shows. Uh, and also behind the scenes, you know, I was uh, editing shows as well. So there was quite a bit that went on outside of that um, that base at Ashmore, which was, um, you know, my only the, the area we used back then was the um, aerobic floor um, for the, the little gym I was running back then. So, wow. Yeah, it was a little drop together wood ring that we would put together yep. uh, and use. Uh, yeah. I sprung some tires in the middle back then, and then became a bit more of a permanent fixture before we actually put the the other ring in there. But yeah, yeah, that was cool. So you're you're doing more of a like a jack of all trades thing. You're, you're helping out with the training, you're helping out with the live shows. You're also performing as well. How long was it now? Being that you know you're the boss's son, so there was always that weird stigma with wrestling, where it's like family members and and things like that. There is that nature in the business where it's like, oh, he's getting this because he's related yeah. to that person, things like oh. that. Did you ever encounter that at all, or was that a, a thing that sort of just didn't exist? Oh no, you got it because there'd, there'd be things, you know, like oh, there's a strap being put on crews, you know, like, you know. But Dad would always say very much, and and to me behind scenes that you know there's not going to be favoritism. You know, I right. had to yeah to earn things. Um, <clears throat> obviously he respected me with my ability, um, what I could do. Um, but there was never favoritism in that regard. Um, at the end of the day, dad would reward who put in effort, who put in work, yeah. um, who, yeah. who, um, who deserved it. Not only always as a wrestler, but with effort, you, you can get guys that are great wrestlers, but they're dickheads, um, right. uh, uh, you know, who put in very little effort. Um, and then there's guys that will, put in a lot of effort the great wrestlers as well so um there was always that little bit of thing going on behind the scenes um look ultimately 
I'm not a great instructor because I don't have patience, as you know, my patience. You know, I like to help <laughs> yeah. people, but I don't have a lot of patience. Um, I'm not a great coach. Um, I, I, I'm very OCD with things, and if something doesn't get done right enough times, I'm just like, okay, I can't. I can't do it. Um, Dad, the opposite. He would just persist and, and work with people and give everyone opportunity. Um, yeah, he was very much so, a devil in the detail kind of guy. Yeah, very much so. And and sometimes, you know, people wouldn't probably understand that because you could have you could have guys out there that could do all the fancy shit in the world, but couldn't put an armbar on and make it look good, or couldn't mm. throw a hit and make it look good. I right. could name you, and I won't who, but a lot of guys that were that were respected as good wrestlers. But when I watch them and I watch the details, I go, Jesus, that does my head in. And please stop rating yourself, you know, because anyone can learn how to do a flip or a a big bump or something like that. But those little fine details in between, you're horrible at. Um, so you know, stop rating yourself so much. So that's where Dad was. He would in his own way with his old school backing, there were certain things that he really felt were important. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he was perfect in any regards as a professional wrestler. I mean, we've all got our strengths and our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he would very much pay attention to things that he, he thought were important to learn. Um, you know, you, if you go into a wrestling ring to learn how to be a professional wrestler and you spend two hours in there doing fitness you're learning nothing. You know, you can go home yeah. and do that. You can condition yourself anywhere. So where, you know, he would come in and say, I want, I want to see you put that arm bar on. I want to see you put that on strong and I want to see you sell it. And if you don't sell it, well, you know what came next. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where it was important for him with the, with the details. And I guess then flowing on to me while I was struggled to be a, a, a coach because I was worse with those details. I really wanted them to look strong and, and I couldn't deal with it when I was seeing it not happening repetitively. But he would just hang in there and really teach those details strongly. Yeah. 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 And, he, and he, he was very uh, profound in that way where, yeah, he, he didn't so much adhere to the fitness side of things. That was, a, that was very much a, hey, do you do that on your own time? I'm here to teach you how to wrestle. That's why we're here. Um, but yeah, one of the the key things I first remember upon not only um, meeting Hawk, but training with the likes of him, not only him, but uh, I think Ash and, and uh, Sweetass at the time were the, were the two main trainers. Um, yeah, he was very much, you know, you, you monkey see, monkey do with training a lot. You know, do this this way. This is this is how it is. This is where you need to stand. You, you need to hold this in a certain regard, especially yes. with holds. And he would get in and he would say, all right, do you understand why you're doing this the way you're doing it? And a lot of the time guys would go, no. And he would then demonstrate, he'd grab someone at ringside and he would demonstrate doing that move with them to then he would say, do you see the difference in what you're doing and what I'm doing? And and a lot of the times the guys would go, well, no. And he goes, I'm feeling it. I'm living in this moment. I'm feeling what's happening to me. I'm telling this person, this person has got me, I'm showcasing to everyone here, I'm in trouble. He goes, but with you, you're just doing the movement and there's a difference. And he would always say, in order to feel what you're doing, you need to understand first why you're doing that move. When When you understand the move that you're doing, then the emotion comes through because your body language feels confident enough to go, okay, 
I know where I'm at. Now I can sort of demonstrate the story to the audience. And I always remember that he was very profound at, at and definitely hammering almost of that nature to, to a lot of the guys, especially myself when I was starting out because of my frame. He would always say, hey, you got to do this thing this way because if you do it this way that I've been showing these guys, it's not going to work for you. So he Correct. was able. He would able to. He was able to sw- uh, switch it up and apply what was going on with me um, to to equal or to equivalent to um, my size. But I do remember you coming in, and this was, I think, maybe very early on in my career, which was 2008-2009. I do remember you coming in as a coach one time because I think. Um, uh, the the other two trainers just they just didn't happen to be there or something something had happened that they they both couldn't be there and uh, yeah you as a favor much like many moons before coming in and doing that first show as a favor would now come in and went all right cool I'll run it and man yeah your coaching was very much uh, we're doing this and don't f about and we yeah. get to it we do it and there were guys there that would I don't think it was obviously meant as a way of like laughing as in terms of like obviously insulting your, someone of the likes of okay. yourself. But I think a lot of those guys, because of the intimidating nature and the presence and a lot of them didn't have the conversation, like even me at that point, I hadn't had that moment with you in that locker room with, uh, with that mask. So a lot of guys knew you from the live show, sharing the locker room, but Hey, giving that man some space. But when you came in to be a trainer, a lot of those guys had those sort of like <laughs> awkward, social anxious laughs yeah. which just happened to come about at the same time where the frustration was starting to get to you, to which <laughs> you, you then hear, ha, 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 which was like, oh, man, would you like some gasoline for this from this fire that you have now lit? Because <laughs> yeah. you're not helping the situation. But I always yeah. remember your training session, and I, I, I've never told you this story, and I don't think I've ever mentioned it on this podcast prior, but we did a drill um, – after we did the initial running through of, you know, seeing where everyone's levels are at, you know, doing the bumps, doing the holds. Okay. You're at this level. You're at that level. Can you do a slam? Mm, you're four foot 10. We'll try anyway. Okay. Yeah. We'll just, but after that whole run of the mill, um, training that you put us through, um, at the end we said, all right, cool. Let's do some matches here. We've got to show, I think it was still monthly shows at that point. And you said, all right, let's put some matches together. And you put me in with a guy of equal size. I, I can't remember who, but I, was he his wife? Uh, yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to call bad. FU. Do you know that number? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember we did we did that training, um, and you told me to like I did the match, and I thought, um, you know, of course, being all of what maybe six months in, I'm I'm obviously riding my high horse. I mean, I've been doing a match in front of crews. This is already intimidating as hell. I'm going to give it my all. But I remember the feedback you gave me was, "Hey, mate." Yeah, look, all I'm going to say to you is just slow down. Yeah. And yeah. I went, and I, when I, I remember, and I've never told you this, and I remember sort of frowning at you, being like, what? I felt like I went slow. And you went, no, no, don't frown. He goes, because you're going to listen to me. If you think you're going slow, if you're in there and you think you're going slow, go even slower. Yeah, Harvard. Yeah. It's one of the big things is that, and I don't know if it's just, I don't know what it is that, that makes you feel like they're going fast. It might even be adrenaline, but that's one thing. So if you're going a million miles an hour, everything's going to be sloppy. Yeah. You know? yeah. You're going to, and, and what you need to try and do is you need to make things, you know, look real and, and, and how it would be, you know, 
However, you need it to be smooth. Now, once you start rushing around the ring and reaching and grabbing, that's when things you know start um, buggering up. You know, unless your fitness level and your knowledge is you know sublime, then you're gonna screw it up. And mm. that's where you will notice you know some of the better independent wrestlers in the US. They have the fitness levels and the knowledge, and I guess and the the synchronicity to to make that continue to flow, even though they're going a million miles an hour. Then you get guys uh, here, for argument's sake, that really try and overdo it in in maybe a lucha fashion, or you know, it's just too much. And then it just as you as you start to gas, or you you start to become sloppy, and then it just all goes to shit. Whereas if you are just cool, calm, and collected, you be methodical with what you do, mm. then everything you do is going to look right. But once yeah. you start going out there and going a million miles an hour. You're going to be reaching wrong. Everyone's losing their balance. Um, you know, your hits are going to look awful, and and it's all going to go to pass. You know, and you—that's what you're trying to avoid. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't understand all that now. <laughs> many, yeah. many years later, twelve years later, I'm like, yeah, I get it. But back then, I was like, oh, did I screw up? Uh, uh, I don't know what's going on. Uh, how slow does he want me to go? Okay. And I remember, yeah. I remember like something. I think the next training session where I was running the ropes, and I think. I took it literally, so I ran, I hit the ropes and I started slowly running, not to be a dick, but I was like, oh, I'm going too fast. Like that's how I took it, because I'm like, I can't. Yeah. But no, I understand it all now. But hey, I always remember that training session, and uh, yeah. yeah, to completely, to completely yeah, tell the story. That's my memory there. Now we actually we used to do a lot of drills on that back then, didn't we, to try and simulate situations in the ring and and um, yeah, hitting ropes and taking bumps and things. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Flash. Oh, thanks. Thanks buddy. for the memories. <laughs> You're right. See ya. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you've um, you've you're doing the jack of all trades. You've you've had a few shows under your belt. Do you remember how long it was in to your career now that hey, the topic comes up of hey, we're going to put a a a a championship or a title uh, on you? Do you remember how long you were in your career at this point? No, um, no, I got no idea. Okay, moving on. No. <laughs> I feel was it the high risk championship that I did or something like that? I think I don't know if it was a W uh, the whatever we were, the WCW or MIW back then, whenever I got the strap. But I feel like potentially the first title I might have won would have been what they called the high risk back then because I was a bit flippy, um, younger and flippy, which these days I guess what I did back then is just stock standard for anyone who's 140 kilos or less. Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, I don't, mate. i got no idea. Um, I'm sorry, Flash. I should remember these things, shouldn't I? No, it's all right, man. I can. I remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Okay, like a cool. smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, yeah. your your smoothie coaster is the belt. Oh, here it is. Um, yeah, there it is. <laughs> um, yeah, because so you you but you did have your first championship. That was a thing that happened. There was yes. that kind of vibe. No matter what, hey, you know, the boss's son. But you're right. Pete will always say this is not because of you know favoritism this is not flavor of the month this is definitely not because you know you're my son this is because you are working hard the crowd's resonating with you and hey it's time to switch it up the crowd yeah um you know now that i think about it um i know the crowd used to pop for me a bit back then and to be honest i think it had a lot to do with the mask the mask looked really cool i think it's probably 90 percent of why it was popular back then sure i could wrestle um yeah i look back at tapes now well well i have looked back at tapes and and, you know, I can see so many flaws of things I've done. But um, I really think, yeah, that the crowd were reacting to the character 
character mm-hmm. was cool. Um, and, and I think he just thought, well, the crowd are eating you up, so let's put a belt on you. Because um, at the end of the day, you, I guess you try and not give the crowd what they want and you try and give the crowd what they want. You know, that's sort of that, that yeah. balance. Um, and I think back then a combination of, yeah, I could wrestle and the crowd were enjoying what I was doing, um, so let's put a belt on me. Um, and that's where it started, I think. Right, okay. So how long into this new journey into the wrestling world into having your first championship do you remember how long it was when the transitional period came of hey we've had this wcw thing for a while wcw australia no relation to ted turner brand but hey we've got Mm. this but now we're going to switch it up and call it major impact wrestling do you remember how this all came about no look i um i think dad dad came up with the with the um brand i believe i do remember you know sitting down with a guy in a um, uh, in front of the computer, designing the logo with the fists coming through, breaking. Yeah, the- yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah. all pretty cool. Uh, I actually really liked that logo. I wish um, I got no idea where the the copy of that is. I'd probably make myself a shirt, but um, <laughs> my name on it, Cruz or Santa, <laughs> one of those. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly when it transitioned. I know it was sort of you know again back in the day when we had the shop. Um, you know, over on the other side there, but I don't know how it came about. I think Dad just wanted to 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 go away from that WCW brand and give it a little bit more of an independence. Because even though, you know, back in the day, I guess WCW Australia, the beauty of that was a you could be called WCW Australia, even having no affiliation with with the you know Ted Turner World Championship Wrestling. Um, but it, it gave it something to ride on the back of. Right. Um, and, and bring it through and, and gain interest and, and get people to show. Because at the end of the day, if people think they're going to, you know, whether you tell them you are or not, but whether, whether they think that they're coming to a an American extension um, company, then they're going to be maybe thinking, oh, we'll go to that. It gives a little bit more validity. Um, but by then we sort of had, I guess, momentum um, and it was time to distance ourselves from that branding mm. and create major impact wrestling. Um, so I think that's how it all came about. The exact timeline, no, um, I, I really can't remember exactly when it was. Right. Uh, uh, I just remember sitting there with the fellow with Glenn doing that um that logo, which looked pretty cool. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, as I'm as I'm interviewing you right now, I'm I'm sitting here like I mentioned earlier on. I I, I kind of I guess followed in uh, in your footsteps in a certain way because I I did help out with a lot of the production down at IPW for a, a, a stint there, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, when I was doing that university degree, I was given the old uh, major impact show tapes that that were there at the time, and I'm I'm sitting here right now looking at that logo at yeah. the DVD covers that I'd made from the original VHS mm. of Major Impact two, three, and four, yeah. and yeah. yeah, they feature that the um, the fist breaking through saying the Major Impact, and yeah, the, uh, the uh, the one thing I want to bring up is that Major Impact three still lists. Um, a lot of the championships at that time, the WCW championship. So it must have come after the Major Impact Three show. Could have been, mate. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Um, because I think Major Impact wasn't the branding or wasn't the the title of the the company. It was Major Impact was the with our shows. Obviously, like you say, they were our pay per views, so to speak. Um, so you're right. Yeah, I think what happened was there was a transition. 
from you know world championship wrestling presents major impact one yeah. three or yeah. four to to major impact becoming the um yeah the brand of the company uh, right so yeah. what, what could have been the, the the idea of hey you know these these shows we're doing it's sort of like a super show let's just call yeah. our brand after the shows and make every yeah. show a sh- super show kind of vibe yeah correct mate i think um not so much making them a super show kind of vibe but it was just like major impact wrestling sounds like a great name for a company that we'd created that um that logo um that branding so to speak let's mm-hmm. make that the brand of the company um and I, th- I think it just it all made sense you know um, yeah put all that together so yeah it must have been not long after that how many did we go through four was it four major impact? uh yeah i mean i've i've only got the tapes of two three and four so i've got yeah. two uh three uh lists you versing sweet ass for what was then the wcw south pacific championship yeah and major impact four was the trocadero entertainment center <laughs> Where you had versed uh, Maverick right. yeah. Maverick Summers, yeah, I retired him that night. Right. Okay. Yeah, and then I retired retired his partner. I think me and BJ retired. Maybe we retired both of them. They were good kids. Flippy. <laughs> now, was there any stories coming out of that show? Because a lot of the guys from yesteryear bring up the Trocadero show. Oh, yeah. You all. I was sitting out in the crowd. I used to like sitting out in the crowd before the show, and and it was an opportunity to see how things look. Obviously, as a as the, one of the owners of the business, and just sort of see how it's all presenting, and 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 what's going on, what could be done better, um, but also seeing what parts of the crowd are reacting because it's very important uh, for me, and I think it should be important for other people. Is before you go out and do your match, ask the people before you, you know, who, what, which part of the, the venue is responding, you know. Mm. If you're going to go out there and work the left-hand side of the room and they're all quiet, well, but the right-hand side of the room are popping, it doesn't make sense, does it? So I sit out there, um, front of the ring, right at the back, um, watching the show, and there was this goose. He was next to us, and he was going on and on how he could do this and he could do that. And if he was in the ring and I'm just saying, oh, I, I, I'm going to lose it at this fellow. And I was really? Just, I was just getting more and more and more worked up. And I um I went out there, out to the change room, and I, I feel like I was talking to Scorn or something like that. Um, and, yeah, I was just like, I'm going to just let this guy have it. And one of the key things about that Trocadero venue was it was a, an over-18 <laughs> right, so a lot of people were drinking yeah. at this at this show. Yeah, she was. She was over at in venue, and obviously, therefore, the use of profanity was accepted. Not mm-hmm. that I ever really let that as a boundary. Should have, in hindsight, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, and I thought, no, nah, I'm I'm letting this guy go. And I just, I got on the mic and I just unleashed. Um, I felt a lot better, to be honest, <laughs> for doing it. But he just shrunk into his seat. I think he actually ended up leaving. I, I, I told him I'd be out in the car park wait for him after the show. I was just so incensed. <laughs> so you went um, out as Cruz and just targeted him, telling him to pretty much it was, shut his I, I, I cut a promo before my match, I believe, yeah. um, and I just told this guy I was going to kill him. And I literally wanted to kill the guy. He just done my head in that much, you know. A lot of us think we can do things in life um but really can't and it's you know there's times to do things and there's time to appreciate when other people can do things and just go hey 
this is this is cool, you know. Yeah. Um, well, hey, this is shit. You know, make your own decisions, but don't sit there and be a pork chop. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just told him what I thought. I suppose in my own, you know, you know what I'm like. Um, <laughs> yes. I think he just wound me up a little bit too far, and therefore I just really went. I, and I don't think that Dad was that impressed. Uh, which nor should he, but mm-hmm. eh, you know <laughs> these things happen. Yeah, you're caught in the heat at the moment, and that guy was obviously just running his mouth a bit too much. Yeah, yeah, true story. Mm. Wow. Okay. Because yeah, a lot of the guys. Yeah, a lot of the guys bring up that show, and they've all got individual uh, stories uh, surrounding Trocadero. I'm not sure if it was that show, but definitely, hey, definitely that venue. Um, but it yeah. was around this time because, I, as I mentioned just before, at, at Major Impact Three, you and the Sweet Assassin fought for the South Pacific Championship. Now, I touched on this in a couple of episodes where the concept was created of the South Pacific Championship where it was a title that would be defended in IPW New Zealand and what was to become IPW Australia, which was what the company would be after Major Impact. But before that, you would obviously have to develop and have that relationship with New Zealand. Now, you were one of the first guys to make that initial New Zealand trip for an event called, I think it was Rival Turf. Rival Turf. That was fun. I really enjoyed that. How long yeah. in how long into the business now are you when the the opportunity goes? Hey, you know, let's let's go to New Zealand and let's uh let's let's do some business over there. Yeah, you know, I, I always try and remember if Rival Turf was just before I then went on to the US. Um, I don't know if right. that don't know if that was that show or, or that or so as a timeline, mate. I um actually what I showed someone that match not long ago because I just wanted them to experience that chair. Um, spot <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how I actually can still walk after that, but man, that was cool. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure, sure how far in that was, but I remember um, it's actually really nice because I, I pulled that up on on YouTube the other day to show one of the boys uh, that I was speaking to, and it's one of those. It was a really nice to see Dad, you know, in a video. You know, I've got all these photos of Dad and and things like that as memories, but it was really cool to see him and. Yeah, he he cut a really cool promo during that show, and then um, him running around with Josie Ace around the ring, just going to town on each other. That was pretty neat. <laughs> uh, but that you know, that's where you really saw how he works a crowd and 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 makes things look look good. Um, but now it was a really cool memory. I really enjoyed that you know, working that match with Chuck, um, setting his head on fire was always fun. <laughs> so as that. he said, that that match is on. Uh, is that the same match where you set? Is that one the one on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, it was stapled. Um, I feel like it must have been right before we went to the US because we worked that same finish mm. for a match in Toronto um, with um, a company called UWA Hardcore Wrestling. I don't know, that was really cool. Um, so I feel like it must have been just before then, um, which I got a really cool story from uh, from over there. But uh, but yeah, that's that's when that match. Uh, must have been just before then. So that was, I think, 2004-ish, okay. if I remember. Yep. Yeah. Must so, have been that, so the concept was, uh, w- were you one of the key figures running, co-running this, the wrestling with uh, with Hawk at the time, or were you just still um, no, just no, helping no, out? No, back then it was no, definitely me and Dad. Um, okay. The, the only time I sort of stepped away, f- I stepped away from the wrestling a little bit more once it, uh, um, a little while into it, going into the um, William Duncan School, 
So yeah, 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 yeah. Right up until then, I was really heavily involved with it. Okay. Um, yeah, I stepped away from a little bit after then because I just like I just needed a rest. Right. Uh, so, so yeah. did you did you help orchestrate the the dealing with uh, New Zealand to get you guys over there, or was that something that that Hawk could have? did on his own uh, i think no i think we did as a team you know because we had that we had a great re- uh, relationship with chuck uh, the machine and yep. you know johnny so chuck was running it back then i think he had um you know some partnerships but he was the key person we always dealt with and i think he was very much always open to um you know running you know doing certain conglomerations and things like that um he very much respected dad they, they got along amazingly and so i think for both dad and Chuck, it made sense uh, to make that partnership happen in one way or another. Uh, um, and then, yeah, I, I can't remember why we separated from Major Impact Wrestling to become IPW Australia, mm. uh, if it sort of happened back then. But um, yeah, no, it was it was a it was probably a big thing between myself, dad, and Chuck was sort right. of the big conversations uh, creating that. So that's where the uh, the idea of the championship known as the South Pacific concept Correct. came up. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So utilizing you know some talent because it's always great to have you know um, different talent in the room. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be Hulk Hogan turning up to a match. It just has to be something different for a crowd to experience. And I think um, promoters will be able to tell you this firsthand that you can bring over, you could bring Diamond Dallas Page or you could bring our mate down in WA total goose what was his name billy gunn billy the goose oh, yeah yeah um, yeah Kip Sop. <laughs> yeah he was amazing wasn't he mm. um but you can bring people like that to a show or you could bring johnny king to a show and there might be five more people turn up to see billy gunn and it's not so much about who you're bringing it's it's bringing someone different so that it doesn't get stale and i think that concept of creating the south pacific championship and working in with IPW New Zealand was to to keep things, you know, progressive and and to put new talent in front of um, the crowds because it doesn't matter how many times you know you work with another wrestler or, or the different combinations or the different moves. Ultimately, that character is in front of the crowd over and over again. So it's nice to give them someone different to look at and someone different to cheer or boo. And yeah, hence why that came about with that South Pacific. Um, it was a benefit to both um, IPW Australia or, or Major Impact Wrestling, whatever it was called back then, and a benefit to the guys in the New, in New Zealand as well for their yeah. show. Because I still remember that being an active title when I signed up in 2008. There was the talk of, hey, you know, you, we're going to we're bringing this guy over. You're going to win, but hey, in next month on this date, you've got to go over there and defend it. And yes, and and it was it was such a unique concept at the time because, as most wrestling fans would know, there is a title in the WWE known as the Intercontinental Championship, but. Mm. Although WWE travels all around the world, this was the first localized version I'd seen where, you know, an international championship was being defended uh, almost on a monthly basis. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it came down to, you know, look, at the end of the day, I think from what I can remember, everyone traveled on their own wallet and hence, mm-hmm. you know, that is professional wrestling unless you're the WWE. You know, you, you pay your own way and, and you do it because you love it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do it, you know. Right. So, you know, guys would pull money out of their own pocket to to fly to New Zealand or fly to Australia. You know, um, you give them a good feed or something when they get here. 
but you know that's that's about as financially beneficial as it was but it was really good for people to go and and be able to wrestle somewhere else because as as you remember back then you know dad was very protective about um other our wrestlers wrestling with other companies and it wasn't yeah, because yeah. he wanted guys to not wrestle with them but we can't control or or he couldn't control he or we um what was then done with those wrestlers now if you build up a wrestler within your business and they had a certain status or a storyline well for them to then go and work with another company you know a b or c whether it was sydney melbourne perth wherever um you had no control over what they did with that character ultimately it would be up to the character who was traveling to go yes i will do that no i won't hence what you found out with me when we went to perth um yeah. what i wasn't prepared to do mm-hmm. um so <laughs> that was fun um but um yeah, so the idea of creating that South Pacific was it gave each company, you know, New Zealand and Australia, the opportunity to have some control um, over what was done uh, on each side of the ditch rather than just go, hey, go and wrestle for someone and let them degrade your character that we've been building up for, you know, six or eight months. No, go and wrestle over there. And there was some sort of um, control over that content, you know? So, yeah. Good thing about that title. Yeah, I always loved the appeal of that belt, and even the design of it. It was, uh, I think, it had like an opal in the center yeah. centerpiece. Yeah, I, I feel like it actually even got rebranded to the the heavyweight championship at one point because it was a nice belt. A uh, nice belt. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I feel like it, it rings a bell. Like it was a big, heavy, heavy belt. Yeah, uh, it was. And and I yeah, I actually feel like it, at one point the South Pacific um, became the the heavyweight title belt um obviously not anymore but i feel like yeah that rings a bell for me because it was such a nice looking belt well speaking on tripping traveling internationally it was at this point you just brought up before after doing rival turf you guys then go hey we're going to hit the us how did that come Mm -hmm. about and who'd you take with you and how was that experience yeah so that all came about originally we had steve carino cw anderson so back then i was actively speaking to um a lady called stacy brickle um who was based out of long island in new york she was a um i think she ran a company called i don't know extreme promotions or something like that rings a bell anyway so i, I would speak to her about bringing talent in from the us for our major impact shows you know at one point we had looked at abdullah the butcher and King Kong Bundy and all sorts of bloody things. But we, um, we ended up a show with uh, CW Anderson and Steve Carino. Um, And after, I think that show I did um, was when I wrestled BJ in the TLC, when I come off the top of that ladder to the outside. Um, Stupid idea. Glad it worked. (laughs) (laughs) That could have gone bad, but um. So we'd spoken to them um, and basically after talking to them for a while, uh, Carino said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to have you over in the US, work for some of my places in Philly. Um, I can do, you know, New Jersey for you, all this sort of stuff. So that sort of started there and I, I thought, okay, well, that's awesome. Um, and I built the trip. I, I pretty well, you know, it ended up myself, dad, um, Chuck, you know, the machine and Jace the ace. Um, but I, I, I created this whole itinerary um, that was going to be about four or five months long. Um, so, yeah, that eventuated from there. Um, ultimately, Carino turned out to be a total jerk, really screwed us over once we got there. But um, we still managed to get a few shows in and a few opportunities popped up. Uh, but that was, yeah, that was 
that was a really cool um that was a cool trip um but yeah ultimately set up as a result of having some of the guys from the u.s here right okay so you guys invited the guys over i think it was major impact one where those guys had come in <sighs> yeah i think it that might have been the original sort of super show that we did um where we decided we needed um <laughs> we needed talent um Funny story from that. Geez, I remember this. I was living in a high-rise in Surface. Um, I had a, a, another partner back then. And mm-hmm. um, I'd sit up talking and, you know, as much as I knew about wrestling, I still had a lot to learn about life and communication. And right. I'm talk- And so Steve Carino, you know, the king of hardcore, does this, does that, ECW. And I'm talking to this guy like a total idiot. I'm on, you know, like chatting to him. You know, chainsaws. I'm just joking, you know. But of course, this guy's a professional wrestler. Yes, he's a jerk, but he's a professional wrestler, and he's—it's he, his life, it's his business. And here I am, this young fella. So now we can do this, and we can get you blood and gore and da da da. And he's like, "Okay, you're unprofessional. I'm not coming." I'm thinking, "Shit, what have I done?" You know, like I've—I've I've just ruined this. This—this this is the base of my of our event. Steve Carino versus C.W. Anderson. All these people coming to watch that were promoted the shit, and, I, and I've just <laughs> no, yeah. I've said I've turned it into no, he's not coming. He, he, he's coming to this half-ass company because there's this young fella going on like a pork chop. So I really had to backtrack on that. So, you know, sorry, sorry, sorry. All, all, all sorted. Um, but yeah, I nearly screwed that up big time. Wow. Maybe that wow. screwed me over when we came over there. Who knows? He might have had it in the back of his mind. Uh, well, it's one story that is still in the back of my mind that I remember hearing about you guys going over to the United States. Was there a, was there an incident? And I'm I, I need you to clarify this story because I've only heard snippets of it. I don't know the full detail, but I remember I think it was just a term of passing, um, maybe overhearing it, Hawk sort of relaying a snippet. So I think he said something along the lines of, "Well, thank God you weren't in the U.S. when I ripped up that script." Was there a situation in the locker room or something that happened where this came about? No, look, there was a there was a situation in um, uh, in Toronto where there's a little little um, dark wrestler, a lovely lad, and he was just sitting there at the back in the change room, reading like this three or four page script that someone had written for him, and he was just wigging out. And as he should have, you know, some goose has said, "Here, this is our match, start to finish," you know. And this guy's like, "How am I going to remember this?" You know, <laughs> and um, I think, yeah, dad might have grabbed it and torn it up for him or something. But um, it was this poor little bloke was so stressed out about what he was going to go out there and do in his match. And dad's just like, mate, you, you don't need to do any of this. You just need to go out there and work a match for this crowd. See, I guess what people don't realize and when it comes to a match, the more you plan, the less you can do because mm. ultimately, A, you got to go out there and remember that whole match start to finish. And if you don't remember one part of that match, were well, you going to try and go back to it at some point or you're just going to go, shit, where do I go next? Um, but the crowd doesn't like it. What do you do? You know, where do you go next? Um, I have to do this next thing, which is coincidentally part of what they didn't like in the first place. So your whole match is going to be shit. You go out there and start doing a match that's just holds or just bumps. You don't know how the, how the crowd are going to react to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this little fella was ultimately so you know, caught up in what he had to do in this match when at the end of the day, it's not what he needed to do anyway. Um, he just needed to go out there and wrestle and, and work 
with the crowd. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think Dad might have. Um, I think Dad grabbed it off him or something like that. It was. Um, yeah. That was interesting. He's probably thinking, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> Here are these Australians coming in and tearing up scripts. and <laughs> Yeah, and then we go out there and next minute, here he is smashing my manager in the head with a letterbox and bleeding everywhere while I'm setting a guy's head on fire. Welcome to wrestling. Was that your first international trip besides from New Zealand? Yes. Was that your first time in the States? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Was so it a bit of a culture um, shock? Um. Yeah, the big thing was, I guess, you're younger, you go into the US, all you know of America is the movies. Now, I've been to America now 16, 17 times. I can't even remember how many times I've been to the US now. Um, So to me now, it's just like going down to the shop to get a carton of milk. You know, that's that's sort of America to me. But the first time you go there, it's like all you think of is, you know, the movies, you know, what's this, what's that, you know, Rodeo Drive or Venice Beach or Cops, you know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. what you see. So you, you, you're flying into, the, into Los Angeles and, and you just see the city thinking, how cool is this? This is amazing and I'm going to go and work in the U.S., wrestle in the U.S., um, trying to sneak by customs without letting them see your mask because I'm not really supposed to be wrestling in the U.S. without telling them. Um, uh, so it, it's really – it is a culture shock in that regard because I guess back then too, and having done it, you don't realize how easy it is to do. Now, right. it's a status for people to go, hey, I wrestled in America. So what? You know, Anyone can go and do it. Or you shoot a promoter an email, they'd love to have you there. You've wrestled in the US. What have you done in the US ultimately? So it's a culture shock in that you're in America. It's a foreign place. You've seen it in the movies. You go and do a show. The, the beauty is you're working with a different crowd yeah. and a different audience and maybe they're reacting to your accent. You know, keeping in mind this was, you know, 16 odd years ago, I think, when we when we wrestled there. Um, it was, you know, the, the cost to go to America was a lot different than what it is now. So some of those locations where we were wrestling, you know, not necessarily mainstream locations, people are responding to you a lot differently too, you know, to your accent to just you as a person and want to know about your culture. So it, it was a shock in that we're in a foreign place that we see on the movies. This is neat. Um, it was different in terms of working with a different crowd and, you know, I had the opportunity to to go to dinner and, and, and work with, you know, Hammer Valentine and George Animal Steel and Tony Atlas and all those guys. So, wow. so that was yeah. really cool to experience that in in conversation and hear their stories and talk about their life um but at the end of the day it's just another wrestling show uh, with just another audience um and you just go out there and do exactly what you do um it's no different to to wrestling at your at your local venue um it's really just the 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 adventure of, of of that little bit of traveling around and the people you meet more than anything all right, you guys, I've got to hit the pause button right there with Cruz. I know, just getting into the good stuff. Thanks for listening to this long episode. Don't worry, part two with Cruz will be out next week. While I got you here, make sure you hit up the socials at LMBC Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at LMBC underscore podcast on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in. Part two next week with Cruz. I'll see you next week.